Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Black Queen's Republic. Today, uh, my guest is joining me again for part two of the other episode. So, 1970s, Haitians were targeted and they were removed from, from Canada by the Canadian government. Mass deportation, 1,500 of them. Again, 1990s, Jamaicans were the most deported. So that's another one. And then also in the 1990s, we had the Somalis come along because we wanted asylum. And we received like nothing when it came to social supports and community support. We We got nothing. So we were just, okay, you have asylum and that's it. So we were just thrown to the dogs, basically. And then also today, Somali people face difficulties with family reunification. So it's just, you know how we're all feeling good about the Syrian refugees and like how everybody was like, yay, so the Syrian refugees. Trudeau is the best. Oh my God, he's amazing. He brought the Syrians. Yep, I remember. Yeah, like look at us. We're helping them so much. Those poor, those poor little immigrants. Meanwhile, African asylum seekers, who made up half the world's refugee population, mm-hmm. literally got nothing. We're yeah. told, nah. <laughs> yeah. Black hate is a global thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh my God. You know, this the whole that thing with the the Syrian refugees, like when I think Trudeau was asked, you know, like about that, and he he didn't really have anything to say, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, well, you know, like South Sudan has been in war for a really long time. Somalia has been um, in war for a long time. Um, yeah. Liberia." And up, up until 2003 was an extreme war. Uh, Uganda, Northern Uganda, Joseph Kony, uh, there there's so many countries I could go on and on. Uh. The, 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 the black people that were being murdered in Brazil by the numbers. So, so many people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, the fact that the Liberian war with, uh, happened and ended when I was 12 years old is Um. crazy and nobody nobody ever thought to do anything to say anything till this day South Sudanese uh, citizens are dying they've Um. been in war since I was born I actually have friends who I have friends who grew up in refugee camps in Sudan in South Sudan uh, They're friends of mine who lived through the genocide, who are my age. Moved to Uganda, you know, during during the Rwandan genocide. Like, that is crazy. Uh, I remember um, in kindergarten when the UN said, we are done. Like, we, we cannot do anything for Rwanda anymore. It's a failed state. You guys caused the destabilization. 
Aww. with your colonization like it same thing with um with with Liberia same thing with with Sudan yeah but then they come but then you destabilize them and then they want to come and seek asylum and you make their lives a living hell well and exactly. and then oh my god how dare you not try to assimilate you know you come here and and you know you just want to keep eating your food and you just want to keep speaking your language and and you know you just like take what's ours well that's what you did Exactly. That's what you did. That sounds like you guys. That's you. That is you. That you did that. Exactly. Exactly, Jane. Um, colonial powers, they don't want to take responsibility for stealing and profiting off of colonized people. Um, land, our resources, our labor, our art, our culture. Mm-hmm. They don't want to take responsibility for any of it. They also Anything. make it hard to be truly free. A lot of, a lot of our countries as in like Africans. We have gained our independence, but we're still financially dependent on our colonizers. What independence? That is a myth. The independence yeah, just yes. means that we removed you people from government. That's all that means. Exactly. And exactly. if that's what independence means, okay. <laughs> but that's not independence. The only yeah. country I can say is truly independent is Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Because Rwanda refuses uh, aid. Yeah, we're dependent on them still. They still own all of our assets. Yeah. To this day, it makes them still very wealthy, and they're still gaining more wealth from all these stolen resources. And 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 colonizers benefit from destabilization. That's why. You know, you people tell yourselves that you go to these countries to fight for the freedom of Canadians or whatever you tell yourselves. You're going Uh over there to to steal resources. That's what you guys are up there to do and Uh to cause mass destruction so that it can because when there's mass destruction, people are too busy fighting that you can steal their stuff. You can steal their oil. You can steal their gold. And now Libya is a hot ass mess, making it easier for these colonizers to go over there and steal oil because again they benefit from this from making societies dysfunctional. But if they didn't make black, you know, if they didn't destabilize black families, if they didn't make mass incarceration a thing, then they wouldn't be able to thrive. Uh-huh. They thrive because black because immigrant communities are, for the most part, a hot ass mess. But uh-huh. let's let's discuss poverty. Um, yes. Obviously, it's no secret that when you look at you know underserved communities, predominantly underserved communities are black and brown people. Uh huh. Um, that's not <laughs> a shock. A lot of the people that apply for government housing, welfare, or DSP tend to uh-huh. be people of color. When you look yeah. at minimum wage jobs, a lot of the people tend to be people of color. And this is something that is again, this is not a this is not something that just you know happened to happen. This is something that is well calculated it is a a yeah they they literally sit down in a room guys and they they like they make this system the way it is 
But I want to talk about the the thing with poverty. When I was growing up, uh, not growing up, I, I hate saying I grew up in Canada because I, I was already like a, a fully developed human when I moved here. I grew, I was active in the Ugandan community and a lot of us didn't really have much, right? Like uh. most of us were living, you know, in that same situation. We didn't have much, we were all struggling. And so I didn't really notice that, I obviously noticed the difference between my life in Uganda and my life in Canada. But in terms of like never having money, never really having much, that was a norm. And I didn't notice it until I, I you know, I got older and I realized, oh shit, I'm, I'm broke. <laughs> I'm not I'm not just broke like but I'm poor. When I started to see how different my community lived, uh, my community looked from other communities, that's when it all started to make sense. Do you think that part of the the cycle of poverty is that we are all lumped together so that we all like then poverty, I don't want to say poverty becomes comfortable, but it becomes the norm. And so that uh, keeps poverty going. Yeah, 100%. I think the reason why, especially immigrant families, the reason why our education is not valued is so that they can make sure that our parents don't get jobs that pay enough and it's also for the comfort of white people and gated communities so that it's a way to make sure that we never infringe on their area mm -hmm. and uh, it's a way for them to feel comfortable and almost imagine we're not there so <laughs> yeah. sounds about white white <laughs> yeah it's uh, so we don't take their jobs but it's also because you know they don't have to be burdened by us you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But, but, like and burdened home. by looking at us. Not that exactly. we're going to be in their compounds, you know, talking to them. It's the fact that they don't even want to see us in their neighborhoods. They don't want exactly. to see us in their places of work. You have situations where, like, the welfare system, for example, oh. the way that it's set up, uh, Toronto housing especially, and correct me if I'm wrong, if things have changed, but as far as I know, if you have government housing and you yeah. start making money, for example, let now let's talk about like welfare. When you are on welfare and going to school, you get childcare. Yeah. When you are on welfare and you stay home, you don't get childcare. As if... Uh -huh. You know, that even makes sense. But okay. When you're in government housing and you have a job, it starts being your rent geared towards your income, basically. Yeah, I'm upset. Meaning the more that you work, the more money comes out of your check, regardless of what your family looks like. I live in metro housing. It, like you said, it's geared towards your income. And if you have adult children, which my mom has, Mm -hmm. So basically, the application you have to do every year. Right. And then I have to print out proof that I actually go to school. So I'll sh show them a schedule or something mm -hmm. so that I don't have to pay for rent, basically. Or I, I can pay a lesser amount of rent. It's a lot of work. 
of the watchful eye. Yeah. So that's what I mean. And so there isn't an incentive. So if if we're talking like someone, if if, say I'm making a thousand dollars a week and you keep taking more out of my check, the more I work, why wouldn't I just sit home and not (laughs) like, if you're going to take my money, why don't I just sit at home? Why am I struggling and suffering when I can just suffer and, and not actually work? Like we, we, it's like, it's almost counterproductive to, to have these, these sort of like systems. And then yes, when people do have adult children, you, you are always watching them. You're like, hand this in, hand this in, hand this in, hand this in. Like it is a system that is like, we're watching you. It's crazy. And then, like, I can tell you right now. Most mm-hmm. people don't scam the system. I feel like they work very hard to make it sure that you don't scam the system. But it's so much work that why would you even? Like, if you're not actually a student, like, it's just too much work. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like, the idea that most immigrants are scamming this, that's a lie. Exactly. That's a lie. Um, there are people who do scam the system, yeah. But I don't think it's that high because it's actually... When you get into like that system of like your worker is always harassing you for you, you develop sort of like an anxiety disorder every time it comes Ah. due that you literally want to hand it in. And I think when it comes to poverty, it's like it's so hard to not be poor. The chances of you making it out of poverty and staying out of poverty are extremely low. Studies show that the chances of you you know, getting out of poverty are extremely low, especially if you grew up in poverty. Mm. So, like, I have another example of uh, living in metro housing. Mm-hmm. So, my sister comes to visit us sometimes. My sister is in her 30s, and she ha- she's married, and she has kids, so she lives in Edmonton. So, she comes over to visit us sometimes, and she stays with us. Mm-hmm. So, one of my next-door neighbors is mm-hmm. a very nosy white woman. Oh, and she saw my sister and she thought, oh, they're allowing other people to live in the house, right? Oh, so she, she literally called the Metro Housing people on us and harassed us because she believed that my sister was living here. So we have to let them know and all that. So she was basically policing us. While also living in government housing, but feeling like exactly. she has the right to, to police you. Exactly. Same with our car. I remember um, my sister got a rental and then she thought for some reason, we have a parking spot, right? Mm-hmm. She thought that, oh, we're using other people's parking spot. So the whole time that, that my sister was visiting, we couldn't even enjoy ourselves properly because she was constantly badgering us about rules. And she's always thinking that we're breaking rules. And I'm like, just worry about you, okay? My sister's only here for a month. Leave us alone. (laughs) That's so crazy. But that's the perception that they have of black people. Like, Mm -hmm. we're always breaking rules and, you know, Mm -hmm. like, we can't be, like, upstanding citizens. Like, we always have to be up to no good. Mm -hmm. I mean... Ah, it's crazy. You know, I always like to sort of think of possible solutions, but I don't know. I don't know that this is ever going to change. The system is over a 100 years old, the system of racism. And racism has been 
you know white people have found a way to add it to everything you know it's like a they, like there's like a drop of salt they drop a little bit of racism in everything in education they make sure that they don't teach you about you you know so you feel yeah. like you're not valued in history there's nobody who was like you in history Exactly. So they don't teach you about that. Not only history, or even when they're when they're teaching about inventors and any anything in school, they don't they don't tell you that there was any black or brown person. It was always white people that did things. Then you go to things like grocery stores and like things as as minimal as minimal as that, like a grocery store, a hair, you know that you have to go the fact that you have to go to a special store to find food from your country you have to <laughs> you have to go to a special store to find for a long time before Fenty Beauty existed and before Mac and and Sephora started thinking about the blacks you couldn't buy makeup like yeah you could like i, I think like 2013 2014 around there when i was in my early 20s you couldn't you had to go to shoppers drug mart and buy the the next best thing there was no option for mac and sephora in the way that they there is now and with with fenty Aww. beauty like the kids that are coming up now they will never know the struggle <laughs> that we dealt with when you had to find a you had to mix three different foundations to find your color and then we have to go to like special places to find our hair products and then even when we buy our hair products you know Asians are racist towards us while selling our products. <laughs> like it's like where can we black in peace? Where can I be black and not feel any type of way? I don't think that place exists. And then we have and then when you turn on our televisions, you know, you're again reminded that you don't belong when you go shopping for your clothes unless you're on fashion nova you're reminded once again you do not belong and i talked i talked to my therapist about this he's he's a white man <laughs> and i was telling him one one day i walked into his his uh office and i was like i am tired of the constant reminder that i'm a foreigner exactly white people are working hard to remind me every day that the only representation that i get to see is the one that is negative you know the one exactly. that is love and hip hop and and housewives of atlanta or the one where they put my mug shot me looking like you know that's the only representation that i'm good enough for And then when I do get representation of people that look like me, they're they're people like Michelle Obama, highly to the max of the max, highly educated, or Oprah Winfrey. They're like so that I can feel like you know what? Yes, I, I Oprah inspires me. Michelle Obama inspires me. But when will I ever get to that point of Oprah Winfrey? Exactly. You have to be either superhuman or super nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There's no in between. But then again, I'm not allowed to to be stressed out about it. I should be so lucky that my mother exactly. found a country such as Canada. Exactly. I should be exactly. grateful. I should be grateful for the bare minimum. At least I'm on Canadian soil. As a Muslim, 
I always get told, like literally to my face, like, what are you doing here? (laughs) And I get like told, like, I have like, Islamophobia is is a thing, you know? Um, So I always get reminded, always. And that's even worse because, yeah, you are, you know, like a visible Muslim. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's not like, like, if you look at me, you can't tell I'm a Christian unless I tell you, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I hate, like, t- to be honest, like, they, I do have that privilege. And even if I was to say I was Christian, people are like, oh, okay, cool. Because that's like the dominant, that's right. the religion of this country, basically. But then, yeah, when you're visibly Muslim and you're visibly black and you're visibly a woman. It's hard, man. It's hard out here. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I feel like I can't complain about it. Like, I feel like because we have this thing where I kind of sometimes I feel like there's no one to hear me out on it. And I, I'm like, it's ridiculous because there's a lot of Muslim black women. Right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, oh, here she goes again. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I feel like it's so damaging to my mental health. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't even want to pretend that I, I know what it's like because I don't. And I cannot imagine what it's like. And, uh, you know, it happens to me too, right? But not yeah. to that magnitude. I've never yeah. been you know, in a situation where someone is like, it it has happened like maybe once, but no, I don't deal with that on a daily basis. People giving me dirty looks every time I walk into a room because of how I choose to, to live out my faith. Exactly. And, and like, dang, it's not only, what's sad is that it's not only white people who do it. It's, no, of course. It's people of color. Jane, it's people of color. I've had, I remember I was walking at Superstore and I was just minding my business and mm-hmm. I could not believe that this black lady started screaming across the street at me in a Toby coat. Why? Um, what, what was she saying? Oh, you're gonna I don't know what she was saying, but she was saying something about terrorists. And oh she was like coming towards me and I thought at the time, I was like, oh, she's gonna come and beat me. For a long time, white people in America were going on a string of, like, pulling off Muslim women's hijabs. Yeah. I remember that. Recently... Even there was a woman that, in America, white guy, like, tried to set her hijab on fire. And I was like... I... And, you know, it's hard because it's really just Muslim women that are being targeted. Because we're the only ones that wear the hijab, and and also like because women are naturally vulnerable, so they're yeah. easier to to reach. And then black women, being the most disrespected of them all, makes it doubly easy. Um, there exactly. is a, there is a black woman who I was so disappointed last year. She, I think the girl is Somali. She's a Somali girl. Um, I, they didn't show her face. Yeah. Anyway, she was, she's in a school in Alabama and a black teacher, black, a black yeah. teacher p- 
pulled off her hijab and started running her fingers through the girl's hair. She's a little girl. She's like has to be nine or ten. Oh my god. She's um she she does it okay, I'm just estimate because I she was small. So I'm yeah. just assuming she was nine ten there. And she starts the girl you can she's just covering her face because she's you know, she's been taught that no one is supposed to see her hair. Yeah. Um and you can see that she's upset, she's crying, but she's trying to hold her her face. And the teacher just keeps saying, look at all this great hair. Why are you covering yeah. it? And that video, like, I, like, I was just, like, in tears. I couldn't imagine, like, the humiliation. Then she's recording her on Snapchat. Obviously, the teacher was, was um, lost her job. She was fired. Yeah. But it is... It's, I don't want to say I expect white people to be racist, but I'm not, it's, it's always hard for me. It's always yeah. a tough pill for me to swallow when black women contribute to the oppression of other black people. It's like, I actually like, when white people are racist, like, yes, it makes me angry, but there's something that happens when I see black women just being, it's painful. I couldn't, but you did that to a child. She just came, she came to school and that she day. Put it on well, Snapchat. Snapchat. Like yeah. She, like she didn't do something wrong. And the caption was like, oh, look at all this great hair. And touching, putting her fingers in the child's hair, inside of the child's hair, like, you know, going through it as if. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. I have never done that to any of my friends. I've never put my hand in anyone's hair, hijab or not. Like, like especially strength at how the tables have turned. Like, cause you know, black people, we don't like our hair being touched. And here she yeah. is doing it to another black person. Who is, the, and what, what, what was even more sickening is the child is crying. Yeah. She's crying. She's like, she's upset. That would have been your, oh my God, oh my God. Okay, let me stop. Yeah. But you didn't. You just kept touching this little girl's hair. And now she's traumatized. And now she's going to have to deal with that. You know, she's oh. going to be an adult who is terrified, wondering who is ever, who is going to pull down her hijab and go yeah. through her hair. It, there's always going to be those black people in our community who, it's sad, but they'll just always exist. And from all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. But oh, let's no. wrap up before oh, yeah. before we go. We've been talking for like three <laughs> hours. <laughs> before we go, um, where do you think immigration in Canada needs? To, not I'm speaking of Canada because you know that's where we know best. We don't really we live yeah. here. Um, but what do you, where do you think this conversation needs to go within our community uh, in a way that is helpful? In our community or? In our community as black people, do, where do you think that this conversation needs to be headed in a way that's meaningful to sort of, because I think like I've always believed that when we talk about things, then it takes away that stigma and people learn more, especially when we learn from each other. So yeah. where, where do you think we need to go about this conversation? Like, 
to, to in a way that's like helpful in a way that we can start advocating and and really making noise about this and saying this is not right like you said talking about it highlighting voices of immigrants immigrant experiences mm-hmm. i also think that it would be very beneficial for whether you're an immigrant mm-hmm. or you know you are like third generation Canadian, mm-hmm. but you're a person of color, I think it's important that you don't do the white man's job for them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? By basically like having negative stereotypes and all of that stuff about immigrants and letting people know that like accents are not funny. Like why do you think, and I know a lot of young kids do this like they, they put on an accent and they think that they're so funny and like all of this stuff and I'm like yeah. it's damaging for those young kids that um, do have those accents exactly yeah so well, like having open dialogue is so important so important especially as you know because black people we we have a culture of you know never really talking about anything I think that we we have to make this normal and it is not a white thing to to critically think. I really encourage black people don't just take you know what you learn in school, don't take white people's word for it. Go out of your way to learn and unlearn what you've been yeah. taught. Chances are and and you know, I'm still unlearning a lot of things, you know, from like how yeah. I perceive my hair to how I perceive my body, to, you know, there are different things that I'm unlearning as I go, but it's important to chip away at it. Um, but it's it's also good to, like, always think beyond what you're being taught, what you're being shown on television, what you're... It's, it's so, so important because if you're not careful, you can be socialized to believe a, a bunch of stupid, dumb shit that is being exactly. fed to you. Because you have to remember that white media is is relentless in their goal to de- to demonize black people. That's always exactly. going to be the case. That's never going to change. And so now the work is for you to not demonize yourselves. To not exactly. look at each other like you are weapons. Just like, and like Asha said, don't do the, the job of the white man for him. Exactly. And another thing is, if you say something wrong, if you Mm -hmm. see someone mistreating an immigrant, if you see someone uh, mocking and making fun of the way someone talks, Mm -hmm. you have the responsibility to Mm -hmm. say, hey, you know what? Shut the fuck up. Yes. And and we all have to do that. And it's uncomfortable, like when you have to correct your friends, obviously, but... Yeah. You you got to do it because that's where it starts from. If people feel like they're comfortable with you, you know, and they can talk shit, then you're kind of trash, actually. <laughs> so make sure that people don't like for me, when it comes to anti-feminist, anti-black, anti-women talk, people know I am not their girl. Mm-mm-mm. They already know Jane is not the avenue for that. Shaming women for mm-mm. They just know. And I've created that sort of um, impression because I don't want you to ever think or even entertain the thought that I would ever entertain that type of stuff. Is it hard? And are you perceived as aggressive and loud and and always quarreling? Of course, that's how I'm perceived. 
but you have to and and also that's the other thing i was gonna say like as a black woman and i think i've said this before you will be perceived unless you're submissive and kiss ass if you do anything other than that you are going to be perceived as aggressive and and loud and and too and much even even if you are kiss ass <clears throat> i know i at one point in my life i was a kiss ass so and people still see me as a bitch so yeah sometimes it doesn't even matter so <laughs> you know but uh, what what i'm saying is like you will be perceived as those things but you got to keep going you got to keep doing you got to keep speaking truth you don't have to be an advocate and cuss people out like i do <laughs> everywhere but in your own families debunk these things tell your mom mom you can't say that about muslims you can't say that about you know black women combat that yeah. sort of talk around you and just knowledge knowledge is power knowledge and also i wanted power. to say if you have the talent of knowing more than one language mm -hmm. if you're able to help a, a person who doesn't speak english mm -hmm. and translate for them do it. it i've done that before guys it's really yeah it pays well and and do it guys it's good um i did that for a bunch of years helping with immigrants who had hearings and stuff Coming to a new country is a lot of work. It is really yes. scary. Yeah. So if you can be that person's first friend, mm -hmm. you know, you know that per like you've seen that person just come to the country. They don't know much. If you're able to give them some time mm -hmm. to just show them around, be your friend, and say, "Hey, if you need any help, I mm -hmm. am available. Here's my number or something," because that makes a, it makes all of the difference if you're able to do it, of course. Right. My final message is to white people. Um the reason why immigrants probably speak really good English is because your ancestors colonized them. Um it's not a miracle that they speak good English. It is not the handiwork or the miracle work of God or whoever you believe in that these people yeah. people speak English. Your ancestors went to these countries, forced them to speak your language. Mm -hmm. Um that is not a badge of honor to speak good English. Um it is not a it's nothing. You know? We we there was no choice. There was no choice made in that area. So Exactly. Do better. And also just because someone has a thick accent, a lot of people are very talented writers. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have only ever been educated in English. Yeah. So exactly. That's why they're English is very good. And and you don't need to ask that question. You you can just you can actually you don't have to have that information. Yeah. You, you don't have to. But Asha, thank you once again for coming. This was this was good. It's um <sighs> we immigration is a it's a layered conversation. Mm -hmm. um and we could just go for days but thank you for coming um and please come back again uh we'll see you guys next week bye bye